give a shout out to that big elk for one thing. And I want to give a shout out to Cora Hall. She's Sabrina's aunt. She's in Colorado Springs. She watches us all the time. So we want to give her. She's uh, wanting to get on the mailing list, so we appreciate you. Let's uh, stand our feet. It's the day the Lord has made. We're going to do what? Rejoice and be glad. Psalm 113 says this. Praise the Lord and praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Now you hear how that said that? It's a directive, right? That's what should be going on. It says from the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. You remember when Jesus was coming in and they were praising him and they got upset about it some of them did and he said if these people hold their peace the rocks will cry now first thing I want to say is I don't want no rock taking my place but you think about the directive that's going coming forth from God there praise should be going on and it will be going on we can complain all day if we want to but praise should be coming out of our mouths because we don't want a rock taking our place The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He's looking down. That He may seat Him with princes. Let me back up. He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of an ash heap. That He may seat Him with princes, with the princes of His people. You got a way out. And I want to tell you, you got a way out. It's not necessarily money. It's not the government. It's not education. Your way out is Jesus Christ. He, amen. He may use different things along your journey, but your way out is to look to Jesus. You shouldn't look to all these other things. He may bring some of those things into your life. But we should be looking to Jesus. Tell your neighbor, say, that's your way out. Go ahead and tell. (laughs) He grants, look at this, he brings life. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. God is the one that brings life. He can bring life into any of your situations, any of mine. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. Repeat after me. Say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe in His kingship. I believe in His word. I believe in His authority. I believe in His resurrection. I believe in His return. I believe that He's the judge. I believe that He's the Creator. I believe that He's the Savior of the world. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise this morning. Hallelujah. God is good. And all the time, 
Before we dismiss, I want to tell you something. To the we're not quit, we're not leaving. I'm getting ready to preach. But. Several years ago, I was in the White House having a briefing on the Middle East. And in that briefing, I asked a question. I asked a question of the then president. I said, do they understand the Scripture and what Israel's role is and all that? And they said, we can't tell you that for sure, but we can tell you this, that there are people here in Washington, D.C. that know what's going on. So I just want to remind you that God's got people everywhere. God's got people in Washington, D.C., at least three. <laughs> God's got people everywhere. And so we don't have to be caught off guard. We don't have to worry about anything. Our God is in control. Amen. Children's Church is dismissed. We have two nurseries next door. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And we want to look at a few things here and see what the Lord has for us. The Lord, I had some things laid out that the Lord was speaking to me uh, this week, and then this morning He quickened this chapter to me as well. So we'll see uh, how the Holy Spirit directs us this morning. The Most of us are familiar with John chapter 10, and I want to share some stuff with you out of there, and then I'm going to read to you just a little bit. If you've never read uh, A Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd Keller, uh, you need to pick that book up somewhere and read it. <clears throat> In John chapter 10, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So I want to say to you, the number one thing that you should practice and should grow in is hearing the voice of the Lord. It starts with this, but God will speak to you in your prayer times. He'll speak to you other ways, sometimes through your own spirit, sometimes prophetically, whatever. But I want, I want you to make sure your, your ears are tuned. What did he say in Revelation to all those churches? He that hath an ear. So our job is to get our ears figuratively speaking, in a place where we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. To him the doorkeeper opens, and he calls his own sheep by name. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So that's the reason it's important for you to get in God's Word to know His Word so that you can distinguish His voice from other voices. He will never, the Bible says, the Spirit and the Word agree. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will never speak anything into your life that's contrary to God's Word. They're always in agreement. So, And he, then he says, uh, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which He spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So he's talking about the good shepherd. He's talking about himself as the door and how we are to be saved and uh, eternally and 
he says, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So the, the contrast between Satan or the thief and Jesus is clear here. Then he announces this again. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, that of which he did. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He's in it for the wrong reasons. And I am not, he says, because he does not care. He says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. We're going to come back in just a second here. But let me remind you of King David in the Old Testament. He was a shepherd boy. And he tended the sheep. And there's uh, some illustrations of things, the events that happened while he was tending the sheep. And he killed a bear and he killed a lion. And he was tending the sheep under his father's authority, much like Jesus. So he kills a bear and he kills a lion because he is not willing to let them have one of the sheep. Now, a lot of people would reason why, if we've got 200 sheep, why it would be a good thing to just let the bear have one of them, right? Or let the lion have one of them and get the other 199 into safety while the other lamb is being shredded. Now that's not how the Lord is. And that's not how King David was. What if King David, and think about being a parent for a moment, what if King David had come home and said, you know, um, uh, Dad, I was out in the field today and we, and we lost one of the sheep. And he said, I got the other 199 into safety but the lion was able, got one of the sheep. His father probably wouldn't have been overly upset in the natural speaking. But aren't you glad that David gives us an illustration of not wanting or not allowing? Now, what's the problem with that? <clears throat> the more land or the more territory we give way to the enemy, he keeps coming and looking for more. David understood that. He knew, they say that when an alligator gets a taste of flesh, like, you know, a lot of dogs and sometimes even people get eaten by alligators, they have to kill them because they'll come looking for more. And that's how the enemy is in our life. And David understood that. He knew that this lion would not be satisfied with one sheep. How many knows that's how the devil is? He's not satisfied with one part of your life. He wants to dominate your entire life. He'd like to come in and take over. Why? Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Most of us recognize that he's a destroyer. Some of us understand how he would kill. Certainly the biggest problem with that is eternal death, right? Not just natural death, but that second death that the Bible speaks of. But I think a lot of even Christians forget how much he tries to steal or rob from us. What is it that the devil's stealing from you or attempting to steal or rob from you? Right? 
Sometimes people have come in my office over the last 30 some years and they'll have a situation and they'll say out of despair, oh, I guess that's just the way it is. No, it's not. It's not just the way it is. It's because too much territory has been given over to Satan. That's not just the way it is. Because we, we know that the Bible teaches us clearly that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside of us. Now think about that for a minute. If there was a time where all the demons were dispatched to one location, I believe that was the day. I believe there was a time on earth where nobody was being harassed by demons because I would probably suspect to say that every demon from hell was there at that tomb that day. Because the devil knew that if he could keep Jesus from rising from the dead, he had overthrown God's plan. Paul said, if Christ is not risen, our hope's in vain. So you think about being in the moment like that, to where that every demon, but they couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop him. The devil and all the demons of hell could not stop Jesus from coming out of that grave. Now think about that for a moment. Think about how much power that is. And think about that power being residing inside of you. So we can look at the world or you may look at your own family or a certain situation that you're troubled about and you can say out of despair, that's just the way it is, but that's not how it has to be. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So then he says, he says he lays his life down. He says, I am the good shepherd in verse 14. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the, father's, uh, as the father knows me, even so I know the father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And Jesus did that. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Because Jesus was primarily speaking to the house of Israel or the nation of Israel. And a few Gentiles would be coming through from time to time. But he's speaking to the Gentiles because the Apostle Paul, who himself was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, was raised up later to give the message to the Gentiles. And so there are other sheep coming into the fold. And he says, I know the Father, and I'm known. Uh, he said, I lay my life down. He said, I've got to bring these other ones in. I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And that's because we're all from the tree or the seed. We all come into God through Abraham. Through that faith and through his line which Jesus Christ came from. Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So some of you have heard me say this before. Jesus, the Bible says, gave up the ghost. He couldn't die. The only way Jesus could die is if he laid his life down himself and he gave up the ghost. The Bible says death reigns because of sin. Well, the problem death had with Jesus was what? He didn't have any sin. So death had no legal claim on him. So he laid his life down. It's what he's making clear here. That's why, if you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did Satan do? He sent several people by to tempt him to come off that cross, right? He sent them by. He said, they came by, and the devil uses people, right? They came by and they said, he saved others. Why can't he save himself, right? 
He said he could tear the temple down and build it back in three. Right? They were tempting him to exercise his power and authority, right? To come down. The devil wasn't no stranger to that. He had done that earlier, right? He said, turn these stones into bread, right? In other words, stop doing the will of God and do what I want you to do. Is that how devil works in all of our lives? Stop what you're doing for God and come over here and do this a little while. Then he said, cast himself down. And every time Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, all three times Jesus used the word. You don't have enough strength to resist the devil on your own. You and I do not have that kind of strength. We don't have enough emotional power, and we can't out-arm wrestle the devil. If you want to overcome Satan in your own personal struggles, you're going to need to use the Word. Jesus is our example. He's the Son of God. He had no sin. He's all power and authority is given to Him. But yet, when He was tempted, and the Bible said He was tempted in all points like we were, or He said He used the Word of God. You can't, don't spend your time jawing with the devil. Right? Even when Michael, who was an archangel, we read in the book of Jude, when he was holding on to Moses' body and the devil was trying to steal it, he said he used the authority of God. He said, the Lord rebuke you. So if we're going to have any success against the devil, let me say a word or two here to you because I know people that listen to me think they're smart. Right? We all think we're smart. You're not going to outsmart the devil. He's been working on people like you and I for 6,000 years. He knows how to chew men and women up and spit them out. Our power and authority comes from God's Word and His Holy Spirit. That's how we overcome Satan. I think there's a spiritual thing being said there in Genesis. When the serpent's cursed, we know the snake went to the ground and started crawling. There's a debate on exactly what the serpent did before that. But he's on the ground. But he said, you're going to eat the dust of the earth because that serpent, as we notice from that point on, even into the New Testament, represents Satan. And guess what that serpent's been doing? Satan. He's been eating the dust of the earth ever since. You and I are made out of the dust. He formed Adam out of the dust. And that's what Satan's been doing. You and I are not the Johnny-come-lately that the devil's over there scratching his head thinking, boy, they're smart. I wonder how we're going to get to think. That ain't how this works. Our defense is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen? amen? Therefore, there was a division in verse 19 again among the Jews because of these things. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Oh my goodness. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are the words. And, but that same kind of language is used even in our country today. People who make light of God and make fun of Jesus. Others said, there are, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So see, they understood. They knew something, right? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem. It was the winter and Jesus walked in the temple on Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I told you and you do not believe. They didn't want to believe, right? The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I, as I said to you. Now, somebody was getting it, right? They said, how can this guy have a demon if he's opening open the blinded eyes over here? Some of them are starting to pick up on it. He said, my sheep, here we go, back to the same thing he's been saying, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, let me say a word here, and I, don't wanna, I, don't want, you, I want you to take this as, as instruction, all right? And if it needs to be a little reproof, 
Take it as reproof. But don't get mad. Do something about it, right? That's how we should be as believers. When we get confronted by something that we're not doing. My wife and I <clears throat> were having a conversation last night. And we said this. If there's something in your life that you would be uncomfortable talking to Jesus about, you ought to, you ought to get it out. Whatever that means. That can mean different things to different people. If there's something going on in your life that you would be uncomfortable talking to Jesus about, then you ought to remove it. You ought to get away from it. Start making plans to throw it in the trash, right? And it could be something that we're not doing, right? You may be whatever. It may be something you're involved in, but if you would be uncomfortable sitting down in front of Jesus and having a conversation about that, it's probably something you ought to get out of your life. Or if it's something you're leaving undone, right? That you should be done and you would be uncomfortable if Jesus questioned you about it. Then you ought to start doing it. Embrace it. But here he says, uh, he says, they know my voice. So here's what I'm going to say to you. Most of you that are in this building and people that are watching us around the globe and in the country here, you have learned my voice, right? You, you know, and you know I'm a mountain boy. I got that little twang to throw in there with it. But if you were two, two aisles over from me in Walmart and you heard me uh, rebuking the devil <laughs> or doing something in Walmart, just speaking, you would know my voice because you've heard my, you've spent enough time around my voice. So if you're a believer, I'm not talking about somebody who's just starting their journey and been saved for a little season. But if you've been a believer for a while, you're telling on yourself when you say, I don't, I don't know when God's talking to me. You want to get comfortable. You want to know His voice. You want to, listen, here it is. You want to spend enough time with Him and in His Word so you know when He's talking to you. And then He says, Have I given the eternal life, and I gave them eternal life, that they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I and my Father are one. Now think about the good shepherd for a minute. Now let's turn back to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to take you. We're going to wind up in Psalm 23 because I'm going to show you some things that I just have learned. Because every time I go back somewhere, I feel like the Holy Spirit takes me a little deeper into things. And so how many times have we read Psalm 23? And I'm telling you, I've read Psalm 23 probably hundreds of times. And that I learned some new stuff just this week. Now, I may be the only dummy in the bunch, but I learned some new stuff. And that's where I want to take you in just a moment. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, uh, let's look at verse 19. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And that word treasure is a precious deposit. Now, I want to ask any parent or grandparent in this building, what is more important than your children going to heaven? Nothing. That's the most precious gift you have. Most precious thing. Nothing's more important than that. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there your treasure, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, don't you think about that. I want to read you a couple of lines here from Keller out of this Good Shepherd book. Where do you put most of your effort, energy, and resources at? What are you thinking about when you're doing that? 
What's important to you in your life? What's most important? It's not that those other things cannot have their place in our lives, but what's most important in your life? Now, I want to read to you some things out of this book that draw us to some level of conviction here. Here's what he says. He says, Keller says this, So little by little as time goes on, many of us do not believe that the standards established by God are relative to our age. Before I read on, let me take you back, uh, or let me take you down to verse 25 of this same chapter, Matthew 6. How many of you think Jesus would say this same thing if he were here today? Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor, or, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and body. I think a lot of people think those kind of sayings, or even the thing about the treasures, that if Jesus were here, he would say that differently. Well, I'm here to tell you he wouldn't. There wouldn't be anything different. This, his words transcend all generations. Jesus wouldn't say that any differently. We may be, we think, a little more sophisticated about meeting our needs in this culture. But he'd be telling us the same things. Because we get distracted with the same things. And here, that's what he's going to talk about here. He says, so little by little as time goes on, many of us do not believe that the standards established by God are relative to our age. We discard his directions for living. We ignore his instructions for our conduct. We turn each to his own way only to find that our difficulties deepen. How many know that's true? We see ourselves caught up in a worldly way of existence. Life becomes meaningless, mockery. God's absolute values of integrity, loyalty, justice, honor, love, and nobility are cast aside. And in their place we find ourselves an impoverished people left only with discouragement and despair. Now how many people does that describe in this culture. Many of them. Many of them. Because now, as Stephen Covey put it, it's not what people really are that counts anymore to the culture. It's what you can get people to believe you are. It's the perception. And that's why when somebody says to me, I've got 5,000 friends on some social media platform, I begin to smile. You don't have 5,000 friends. And how much deception goes along with that, right? That we're more concerned about image than we are about the things that God says here in His Word. And He mentions them. He talks about integrity, loyalty, justice, honor, love, and nobility. We don't even, we don't even use that word anymore in our culture. Nobility. When's the last time you heard that? Somebody who's noble. Remember when Jesus said, uh, Nathaniel, he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. In other words, he was saying, Here comes a guy in whom there's nothing false. There's nothing, let me say it this way, there's nothing going on in his life that he would be uncomfortable talking to me about. Think about that kind of life is that? kind of life where you live the same way in secret as you do openly? The kind of life where you don't steal from God, right? I mean, just you could, there's all kinds of things we could bring into that moment. 
but that kind of life, he said about Nathaniel. Then he goes on to say, he said, we are robbed blind after he says, we find ourselves impoverished people only left with discouragement and despair. We are robbed blind and left destitute with broken lives, broken hearts, broken minds, broken homes, broken bodies, and a broken society. Man, he nailed it. And the reason we do that is because we've abandoned God's way. And how many people have you heard, maybe not even in your circle, but maybe in your own circle, because it's in Kentucky too, just like it is in other places. Have you heard maybe on TV or wherever that all the stuff that's in the Bible is old-fashioned? It's just old-fashioned. It don't work. The last thing I'll read from Keller, he says, instead of seeing, longing, and devoting ourselves to Him, speaking of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, because this book's about the Good Shepherd. Instead of seeing, longing, and devoting ourselves to Him, we have turned away and have put all sorts of other gods before Him, little g. Other interests, other ideas, other people, and other pursuits have been given place in our lives before God and our affections. That's where the church struggles. I think when we talk to Ma- when you read about Matthew 25, I think there's a picture of the church there. You got 10 virgins, right? All of them look the same. They all have the same equipment. They're all dressed the same, but only five of them are ready. So in spite of the fact that less than, right around 13% of Americans are what they deem faithful Christians. In other words, people who participate and believe and live the ways of God. 13%, they say, that there's a possibility that half of those aren't even ready. A greater danger to be inside of a circle where the Word of God's not promoted. Where they tell stories and read read newspapers. And those shepherds, so-called, they'll stand before God. Think if you, and I'm going to say this, I I don't want to label, I just want to say it. Think if you go to a church that uses one verse every week. And there are a lot of churches like that. Some don't even use any anymore. That means you would, if you went every Sunday, you would get 52 verses in a year's time. Now, how in the world can sheep stay fed and healthy in a situation like that? What's happened, preachers are not above thinking they're smarter than they, than they really are either. What happens is, and if you go to cemetery, I mean seminary, and I did, and it's probably worse since I went, But if you go into those situations, what they're doing now, a lot of them, they're trying to train you to be culturally relevant more than feeding the sheep God's Word. And so what happens is these preachers are being trained now to bring one verse out or two and then to just try to be intellectual and be smart and try to use their own way of getting people to understand it. I'm going to say a word to you. You and I are never going to say it better than Jesus we're never going to and that's why 
even in this pulpit or if you're sitting in my office, if I have something that's my opinion, you have never sit in front of me or, or sit under me and not, me not make that clear. That what I'm getting ready to tell you is an opinion. How many times have you heard me say, everybody say, this is what the preacher says or what the preacher thinks, right? But we're never going to say it better. You think about the shepherds that use one verse. 52 times a year. It's like going to church and getting a shish kebab with only one piece of fruit left on it. The meat's gone. I don't want no shish kebab without meat, do you? <laughs> Amen. Where that come from, I don't know. Now, let's go to Psalm 23. I'm going to take you to Psalm 23. <clears throat> Everybody say, that's the preacher's opinion. No uh, shish kebab with no meat. Uh, so I want to take you to Psalm 23, and I want to show you a couple of things that I hadn't seen before. Uh, and, and the Lord, you know, of course, the more I'm growing, I'm getting to dig a little deeper in Hebrew and stuff, so that's helping me. But it's a journey, man, and I love it. And that's why I tell you, don't look at something and say, I've already read that. Go back. Go back. You don't do that at McDonald's, do you? Well, I've ever, already eaten everything on the menu. I guess I'll starve the rest of the day. No, you order something you've already had before, right? Some of you are so... Uh, scheduled, you order the same thing every time, right? So read it, read it. Tell your neighbor, say, read it. All right, the Lord is my shepherd. First thing, ownership, right? He's, he's declaring ownership there, right? Not for himself, but he's basically saying, the Lord owns me, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He's also... It's a beautiful psalm here. David's the right guy to write this because the kind of relationship he had. That's why the Lord chose him. But he said he's my shepherd. Now, not being exclusionary, like to say he's my shepherd and not Alan's or he's my shepherd and not Dennis. He, he's saying that he's making it personal, right? You don't want a God that's impersonal. It's about relationship. So he's my God, right? I say this from time to time, somewhat jokingly, but somewhat seriously. I'm the Lord's favorite. But He makes me feel that way. And I heard somebody say, nuh uh, and that's what they should have said. <laughs> right there, that's what I'm saying. Because that's how we all should feel, right? I, I, the Lord makes us feel that way, right? I'm the Lord's favorite. You should feel that. You should, you should have, I should hear that resistance from you and say, no, you're not, I am, right? Because that's personal relationship, right? Like that grandchild that gets to go with you to Dairy Queen today. They're, you know, they feel special. And then next week you take the other one or whatever. It's that personal relationship. Beautiful stuff being set up here. Right? He says, he's my shepherd. Understanding ownership but understanding relationship. All that's in there together. I shall not want. Now, uh, some translations will say I shall not lack. That's good. But what I want to show you is uh, in, the, in the Hebrew that that word is better illustrated by this old English word that we used to use. Now, there's two words in English. Wanting, that's the one we're going to look at, and then wanton, W-A-N-T-O-N, right? That's somebody who's in a bad way, right? Perverse or whatever. But this is a person here, the word wanting, and I did a little digging on this. It's uh, something that's not adequate, something that's lacking or without, 
And one of the illustrations, I've got an old dictionary too, and I, I'm thankful for it because I can get some of these old English words that we don't use much anymore. And it, and it means, uh, the illustration they gave is a coat that's missing some buttons. It's wanting. And that's the definition of that. Now, here's, here's what's not being said there. And this is something I learned. What's not being said is the Lord is my shepherd. I won't have any wants. That's not what's being said. I want God to show up and do all kinds of stuff. I want him to show up and get everybody out of a wheelchair in a wheelchair. That's what I want. I want God to do this. I, there's a lot of things I want. In fact, I want, I want to encourage all of us, and I'm, I'm asking you to do this every day. It'll take you about three seconds, maybe six. I want you and I to pray, and this is what the disciples did. They said, Lord, send signs and wonders to confirm your word. And what if everybody in this building is getting up every morning and just says that to the Lord? Let him hear our voices say, Lord, we want to see you. We want to see you do something like that. So the wanting word is, is like, uh, you will be somebody in a, I'm in a position. This is the way I want to say this. You and I are in a position of no need. That's what he's trying to say there. We're in a position that our shepherd is going to take care of everything. Now, if I'd have taken you on down through Matthew 6, he would have talked about, right, how the sparrows and all that stuff, that, that's what we're talking about. He's going to take care of us. That's why he said, don't worry about your life, right? Don't worry about those things. Your needs are, I mean, just say it this way. And let's not get confused about, about what we want, a desire and a need. All, I can promise you that all your needs will always be met if he's your shepherd. That's what he's saying. Now the problem is we try to get out of the sheepfold sometimes, right? Try to do our own thing, right? And we confuse that desire with a, want, with a, with, with a need, so basically what he's saying here is if the Lord is your shepherd, you're not going to have any needs. Now, he don't always give us everything that we think we want or desire or whatever. But he's saying you will be in a place of having no needs. He's going to meet them. Now, think about that. But the problem is shepherd because this word shepherd kind of links itself to the New Testament with the word Lord. Now, if, if, the, if he's your shepherd, that means you've given over the right to your own self and to your life. Someone else is directing it now. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Let me tell you, if you come to me with a need, I'm going to pray about it. I've seen God meet needs in my own life. But let me tell you where I, I'm trying to get in my life to where I can pray this, not my will but your will be done. I want to live in a place of being settled because I know He knows what's best for me. I want to be able to live in that spot. And He's taken me into situations in the last year that's kind of helped me move into a spot like that. That I don't, I don't have as many demands for God as maybe I once had. And I, when I use that word demand, I'm using it loosely. I'm not using it in a way that's trying to put God on the spot. 
But I want to live in that life to where I have such confidence and trust that I can pray for his will to be done. And live in that moment. Live in that. Then the next thing he says, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. So that's, that's part of what he just promised, right? What do green pastures represent? They represent feeding. They represent being sustained. They represent being taken care of, right? Nurtured. He leads me beside still waters. He don't take me into that place to where it's raging and where I'm being tempted to be afraid. He brings me beside still waters. All this stuff. And I'm going to show you the second thing I learned here in a moment. He restores my soul. I thought about that. Thought about that. And I'm sure some of you have thought about this. This is not the new thing I learned again, but I want to share. Your soulish man, if I can take you back to something I did about three months worth of, your soulish man, uh, you are a triune vessel. You, may, you and I are made up with a body. We're made up with a soul. And we have a spirit. And that spirit is dormant until the Holy Spirit comes in and brings life. Right? Then the Holy Spirit's design or desire is to exercise His authority and conquer this whole person so that the Holy Spirit controls my life and not me. Right? That's what the journey's about. The Holy Spirit's number one job is to conquer us. Now, what the Holy, if, if He's not getting fed properly, then He's going to wane. Right? He's going to struggle because what's going to happen is your body and the external culture and uh, desires and fleshly needs, whatever, they're going to put pressure on this soulish man. Right? In your soulish man, you have three things going on. You have a mind, you have a will, your will's in there, and your emotions. That's, they're seated in the soul. The soulish man is where you and I, or woman, is where you and I make decisions. Okay? So, the soul man who's made up of a mind, an intellect, will, right? I'm going to exercise my will, right? My emotions, right? That soulish man is where decisions are made. So the Holy Spirit is sending him signals, right? And saying, here's God's will, right? And the body's trying to get his two cents in. And the culture, the world, is trying to get their two cents in. So that's why there's a battle that rages in there. That's why this verse is important. He restores my soul. This is similar to the language Paul uses in the New Testament where he says uh, that our minds get renewed, right? In Romans, the, that the Word of God, it renews our minds. So our mind is the biggest part of this soulish man. That's what's seen the most because we're constantly making decisions. You made a, you made a lot of decisions this morning some, some of them subconsciously because you're so in the groove, right? You remember how we groove out things in that soulish man. You, you made a lot of decisions. You, you made some decisions last night about getting here this morning. Maybe by setting the clock, laying your clothes out, getting the baby stuff ready. Whatever you did, right? You made all kinds. And then this morning you got out of bed and you 
took a shower, or, or we hope you took a shower, or whatever. <laughs> whatever. And, and you did all kinds of things, right? Decisions, many of which you probably didn't even register. Your mind was just moving, right? Moving, moving. Get in the car, drive here, park in a certain spot, and get out and walk in. Find a seat. All kinds of decisions going on that many times. And that's why how we groove them out, right? Matters. How we groove our soulless man out like that record I showed you when I did all that. that, that I brought that red Elvis, uh, that red Elvis. I tried to say Alvin and Elvis all at the same time. I bought that red Valentine Elvis album that I've never listened to. I bought it for 6 or $18 years ago because I was confident that it would be worth $2 million someday. <laughs> and now, for today only, I'm willing to sell it for 250000 if anybody <laughs> is in there. I'm going to let you in on the ground. <laughs> so... But you know, I showed you how that album was grooved to play Elvis's voice, right? You, you could play it all day long and hope that something else would come out of there, but it's not going to because it's grooved out to play his voice. <clears throat> so, same is true of us. We groove out grooves in our soulish man. And the reason some people... This just happened yesterday. I was talking with somebody yesterday, and they said, like an addiction, that some of those addictions can leave your bloodstream in a matter of a few days but the problem is, and of course they weren't talking this way, they didn't understand this part. But the problem is, but my light bulb went on, you got those grooves, right? It, you've always done it that way. It's a habit. Even though your body may be out of that addiction, that groove's still in there. And it's just easier, right? I shared this when I was talking about all this. It's easier. When I was growing up, my grandmother lived two or three houses over from me and I, in the mountains, and I wore out a path. There were several other ways I could have went, but after a while, that path, no grass would grow on it, right? Because I'd worn, and it's just easy to always take that path and not go another way because I grooved it out, right? And that's what happens to people. Now, you got to, and I said this, you got to get a new groove on, pun intended, right? You get your groove on, you got to groove out new pathways and start, and that's how the Word of God works. So this is a very important verse here. He says, He restores my soul because that's where the battle's taking place. If your spirit man don't get enough food, he's going to be at a disadvantage trying to fight the battle that's coming from all these other directions. Because what he's fighting for is the decisions that come out of that soulish man will be God-led decisions. That's what the Spirit's fighting for. He's fighting for your decisions to be led by the Holy Spirit, by God's Word, because they agree. So that's where it's at. So you're my, and you know this. You want, even sometimes Christians are this way. They're so shallow, and they don't. Their spirit man don't get. They watch uh, uh, TV more than they whatever media more than they spend time with God. And this guy's lacking, and so they govern their lives with their emotions. You know people like that. They just govern their lives by emotions. They don't live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. They govern by their lives by how they feel. Right? So they participate or don't participate in things with God's kingdom based on how they feel. Not based on what God's Word says. Does anybody think, and I remind myself of this. I, I, when I worked in the mines, there was a piece of steel, and it was big. It was big angle iron that had been welded together. And it, it was in a cross. 
they cut it, and it was, it was probably eight feet tall. Had a cross member that's probably four feet. It was a heavy piece of metal. I had to lug it and try to get it in the back of the truck, and I was taking it way up on the mountain to another part of the mine. Uh, halfway, uh, well, actually, somebody helped me load it. But halfway up the mountain, that thing fell out. And I was by myself at that point. And so I, uh, I had a can of spinach, and I just opened it up. Uh, Whoo! <laughs> now, somehow, I got underneath that thing. I didn't want to go back down the mountain and leave it in the middle of the road because that would have been a disaster. So finally, but as I picked that thing up and started lugging it toward the truck, I started thinking about Jesus because it was perfect shape of a cross, and I was thinking about what he went through. Is there anybody that's listening to me here in this building or watching or getting this? Is there anybody thinking that when Jesus got himself beat, some historians say till his organs were exposed, and then they laid that cross on him? Does anybody think he felt like carrying that cross at that point? He had a crown of thorns shoved in his brow, had been punched and spit on, had his back shredded like hamburger meat. And then they lay that cross on him. Listen, as Christians, we got to get out of this American attitude. As Christians, sometimes you need to get up and do something even if you don't feel like it. Because our Savior didn't feel like I'll guarantee He didn't feel like it. Carrying that cross. Now, let me show you the next thing I learned here. This is something new I learned. He says, He, says, he leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now that leading is not the best choice of words there from the Hebrew. He leads me in paths of righteousness. It would be better served with the English word drive. He drives me. Why would he do that? Why would he make sure, think about it, and you're going to hear the answer right here. Why would he make sure that I'm going down the right path? It's not like a suggestion. See, in English, it's almost like it's a suggestion. Hey, let's go over this direction. That's not what's happening here in the Hebrew. He knows the flesh. And if, you, if you've studied sheep, you know how dumb they are. Look at your neighbor and go, meh. <laughs> they, they will dig a rut... And, and they'll get that, they'll stay in the same spot. Come on now. Some Christians are that way. They'll stay in that same spot and rut it, rut, rut, rut. And then they won't be able to get out. But that's why the shepherd has a staff to hook to them and get them out of their ruts. If you leave a sheep, sometimes he'll graze and graze right off the cliff. That's why a shepherd has a sling, not only to keep the enemy away, but to get the, get the lamb's attention. Because he, what do they do with herds? They drive them. Have anybody watched a cowboy movie? They drive them. They got cowboys, horses, dogs, everything. And they drive them. Why? Because they want those cows to wind up where they're supposed to wind up. At the steakhouse. <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> we, but you see, these animals are driven 
Because the reason, because they have enemies. And, and He wants them in that path that's best for them. So He's driving them that direction. He's not just saying, hey, this looks like a good way. Let's go this. That's not what He's doing. He's saying, here is the way. Let's move these sheep into that path. That's what God's doing. You want to know why God's so hard to get away from? He loves you. Listen, if I paid the price He paid for all of us, I'd be adamant about this too. He didn't just send a little money to bail us out. He didn't pay our bond. He hung His own tree, His own son on a tree. The cross for you and I. He paid the heaviest price. Anybody that's got children or grandchildren or people that's grew up under you that you care about, there's not a person, not a dad or a mom in this room that wouldn't take the place of their child if they could. They're suffering. I submit to you it was a greater sacrifice for the father to send his son than for him to have come himself. Because not a one of us wouldn't say, you know, and I've had that experience with one of my children that watch them suffer for a few years and want to take their place. That's what God has done for us. So, is He adamant? That's why I've said to people before, I've, I just feel like Jesus is a lot more serious about this than we are. He's adamant about it. There's so much at stake and there's so much to gain and so much to lose. It's a reality. And he laid his life down. No man took it. He, he laid it down. So why wouldn't he make sure we go to the right path? How many of you all would have let your child just go off on its own, right? You're trying to make your way down to the lake or whatever, or through an amusement park, and you got a three-year-old and say, well, there, the, they opened the gates at Dollywood. Get on in there. We'll see you later. No, you're going to make them go in the path you're taking, right? Because they're safer there. Right? They're safe there. They're going to be nurtured there. You're going to buy their food. You're going to make sure they're strapped in to a ride or whatever correctly. You're going to be there. Right? Well, why should God be... We, we didn't get called into this family to just keep doing our own thing. We got called into this family to follow the shepherd. You know Why? Because He'll do a way better job of running our life than we ever did. We did such a good job. As an old timer, going on to be the Lord is in one of my first Bible studies I started through the middle of the week when the Holy Spirit gave me that instruction. And He used to say this. He said, we're bad about saying, okay, God, you got us this far. We'll take it from here. We don't get good at stuff, we need to be led daily because the enemy is seeking out to destroy our lives. So he says, uh, I'm going to lead them, I'm going to drive them in the paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Yea, he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A place that you're so confident in the shepherd you're following that fear is not a part of your equation. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And some of you heard me say this part all the days of my life. It chased me down. 
chase me down. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and here's what they said to me. It was our friend Joe. Joe said to me, he said, I can't believe how much the Lord has been after me all my life, and I wasn't recognizing it. He said, how much pain I put myself and others through because I didn't recognize it was the Lord chasing me. That's what the Hebrew illustrates here. He says, surely goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's why, here's why nobody will have an excuse. God is so full of love and compassion that He's after us. He's after us. He wants us. He said it's not His will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. I'll close with this story. He, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll be in His presence. No matter if to live is Christ, to die is gain. doesn't matter. Let's stand our feet. Thy will be done. When our oldest son was born, he had a lung disorder. And went on till he was about five. <clears throat> Touch and go sometime. And he, my wife and I, when it would hit him, we would get in, crawl in the oxygen tent with him and we would just, lay, we would stay up all night and watch. One of us, we'd take turns and make sure his chest was rising. Make sure he was still breathing. And they would shove the needles in him, the IVs, and every time we knew, you know, we got pretty good at recognizing it. Uh, but it was an ongoing thing. We were feeding people on Thanksgiving Day. Had a big crowd. My family was there. And he, it hit him. And time we laid him in the car, we, I knew I, <clears throat> I'm daddy, right? I knew I'd get there before the ambulance could get there and get him. Anybody ever roll with me? <laughs> so, his eyes had already rolled back in his head. You couldn't see nothing but the whites of his eyes. I mean, he was that bad. But everybody was praying. They all dropped off to him. It was the moment of the battle, right? He'd been going through this for like five years. This was our moment, right? Everybody's dropped was praying at the Thanksgiving dinner event. We were on our way to the hospital. We got to the hospital. <clears throat> I opened the back door. He jumps out, starts running down the parking lot. Yeah. Amy said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to go to Cracker Barrel and eat. <laughs> I said, if we take him in here and tell them that, they're going to think we're nuts. But that was the day the battle was won. He never went back after that. God showed up. But as I was eating that day, at Cracker Barrel. That verse hit me. Thou preparest the table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. God showed up that day. He healed my son. He never went back to the hospital ever again. God's on our side. Look for him. The devil, when you see adversity. The devil wants you to get distracted and beat up. Look for God. He's around. He's doing something. And you know what he's doing? 
in times of adverse, he's building our faith. I'm going to tell you something. I'm with God. This preacher is not for sale. I'm going to preach this word till they put me in jail or till Jesus calls me home or till he comes back for every one of us at the same time, which is what I'm looking for. We got to stand with this. Feed yourself with it. Stand with it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. He's got everything covered. Father, we thank you for this moment. We're in hard times in our world. But I knew that this morning you wanted to remind us that anything we need is going to be there. You're going to take care of us. That even if darkness covers the land, there was still light in Goshen. I believe that, Lord. I believe in you. I believe in your power. I believe that you're in charge. That you're in control. Help me to surrender my life fully to that, Lord. And I don't live in any fear or doubt. I pray, God, that we're living in hard times, but we live with the reality that you're our shepherd. And even though things are chaotic in our world, you're still leading us in the paths of righteousness. You're driving us into those paths for our own sake. We love you. And we know your mercy is chasing us down. And none of us deserve the love and the, the gifts and the blessings you bring into our lives. But we are thankful, Lord. And we want to be used by you. We want to be those sheep who know your voice that will respond to that. We want to be the ones that you drive into those paths of righteousness. And we want to live with the reality that we'll never have a need as long as you're our shepherd. You will meet those needs. You will take care of us. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, or you're a prodigal and you need to come home, today's your day. It's your day. If you're here and you're not fully surrendered as the Lord or your shepherd, you still have reserved some of your life that you control. That you're not being led in. Today's your day to surrender that. If you're one of those people that have something that you'd really not like to have a conversation with God about and you just want to come and get that off of you, today's your day. Today's your day. Whatever your need is, will you come as we worship Him?